Hello and welcome. This is The Cole Memo. I am your host, Cole Preston. Every episode is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the transcript, audio, or video version of any episode, please refer to the description of the episode that you're listening to now. Within that description, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for this episode and the platforms where you can find this episode in audio or video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're listening from, simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. From there, you can find the corresponding episode, and then you'll be able to access the audio, video, and transcript version. You might also find any links that we referenced during the episode so that you might be able to do your own research. Folks, if you go to thecolememo.com and use the search functionality in the top right-hand corner, that's a super easy way to find an episode if you're struggling finding one. For example, if you're looking for episode 50, go into the search functionality at thecolememo.com and search 50, and it should pull up episode 50 because our search functionality works great. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to thecolememo.com slash Patreon. It's a great way to support our show. Another way to support our show is by going to thecolememo.com slash support. You can make a one-time, monthly, or yearly contribution of your choice. That's right, a contribution of your choice. You can donate $1 once, or you can donate a dollar monthly, which will be $12 a month. All of your support is appreciated. If you're not able to uh, support me financially, that is okay. One of the best ways to support our show is absolutely free. Just subscribe to our show or follow it on social media. Leave us a positive review from wherever you're listening to us from. Favorite this episode, give it a thumbs up, leave a comment, or post a review. Your engagement and support is appreciated. Enjoy this episode of The Cole Memo. It's February 21st, 2024, and today I'll be joined by my friend Philip and the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Hey, Phil, thanks for sitting back down. How's it going, dude? Great. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for uh, joining us. And and joining us once again is Chris Berry from the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Chris, go ahead and uh, reintroduce yourself to our audience. Hey, Cole. Hey, Phil. Yeah, great to be back with you guys. Um, my name is Chris Berry. I'm the vice president and chief operating officer of the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Um, we, we're an agricultural organization in Illinois, and we've been... Uh, working in the hemp space for over five years now. And um, we're super excited to be here and talk about the new rules um, that are coming down the, the pipe from uh, IDOA and, and plenty of other stuff too. Yeah. And I'll give you the space uh, on the other things before we get into everything we want to talk about. I'm displaying for our listener or for the people that are watching the podcast right now, if you'd like to watch the podcast, go to coldmemo.com slash YouTube. Um, I'm displaying a graphic right now for an upcoming event that you have. Tell us about it. All right. So this is, um, this is the second year that we're doing sort of, it's like an after party. Um, it, the Illinois department of ag has their own annual hemp summit where they present, they have a, a variety of presenters this year. It's more uh, academic and research focused from what we've seen. Um, but it's, it's usually like, um, an early event during the day and it wraps up in the early afternoon. So after it's over, we have our, um, 
after party and it's going to be at a place called anvil and forge which is a a great wide open space with wood-fired pizza and and beer and all uh it's just a a great place to just hang out and and sort of discuss uh all the events of the day and sort of unwind and have our happy hour out there um this is the second year in a row that we're doing a an after party after the event um, and yeah, it would be great if, uh, anyone who's interested in hemp, they, they, and you can make it down to Springfield, please come to the IDOA event and then please, um, join us for the, uh, after party at Anvil and Forge if, if you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, uh, said you had maybe, uh, something else to mention before we talk rules. Um, yeah, so we will be planning, um, uh, we'll be providing more details for an event in May, um, which is going to be a hemp lobby day. So if you're interested in getting down into Springfield and making your voice heard and just supporting the hemp industry and supporting farmers, um, this is this is the opportunity to get in front of some legislators, um, get into their offices, get into their um you know, speak to them, speak to their assistants, give them handouts, um, do uh, just communicate the message that uh, you're interested in hemp and that um, you, you know, you want to be a participant. And um, right now, I think that that's, it's really important to do that. And, and that's why um, the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, we're, we're pushing for um, a little bit more, I, I guess you would say recognition um, from our legislators, because right now there's there's not a whole lot of interest um, from legislators in hemp, and it, it's not just on the state level; it's the federal level. Um, but that that's that's one of our initiatives. Is just it, it, May is a great time to do it. April and May are like the best two months to lobby in Springfield. So um, we we imagine that uh, it will probably be in a on a Wednesday in May which I know is difficult for a lot of people to get away in the middle of the week, but that is actually the perfect day to get in front of legislators faces. So if, if you're interested in doing that, please reach out to us and and let us know that, that you're interested in that. And um, we will organize a a group outing uh, to, to go do this thing because that's, that's how we got started was lobbying in Springfield over five years ago. uh, And, it's, it's just an incredible experience and it, it's an incredible springboard for you to be more aware of how you can affect public policy and how your story actually really does affect um, uh, the way politicians conduct themselves on the, on the floor in, in Congress. Yes. Yes. Uh, join the movement folks. And uh, if you want to make sure that you're in the loop on what they're doing, it's, uh, IllinoisHGA.com. Is that right? That's right. Bam. Got it. And that'll be in the podcast description, folks. Um, you can sign up for their email newsletter. Um, if you saw the last one, you may have seen a familiar face grace the um, newsletter at the very bottom. And uh so much more helpful information and some of the information that we'll be discussing today. I think that's a perfect transition. Look at that. Look at that. 
The latest hemp program rules were published in the Illinois Register the day after Christmas. Hey, Christmas came late this year. Um, <laughs> Chris, tell us about this. What what's uh, what's what's the word on the street? Break it down. All right. So it's it's been it's not been a surprise. Um, it's it's been more of a, I guess a. Well, it's about time, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it, it was almost a year, um, it, well, nine months since the public comments were, um, submitted. And I know we've talked about this prior on, on other episodes. Um, yeah. and so it's been a long time since they proposed a rule change. And now finally in December, they, they finally got their whole act together and they put out a final version to be submitted to the USDA of the hemp program rules for Illinois. That being said, after nine months, what was published in the Illinois register, and this is just to give everyone some context that before we start talking about the details, what was published in the Illinois register. Uh, and this is, I don't if, if you have any experience looking at the Illinois register, they they will show the previous version of of what was said and then they'll also show the new version and then they'll have stuff crossed out and they'll have like the new version will be in a different color and so you can see what changes have been made um i don't know where or how this mistake was made but what's published and this is officially published in the illinois register like there's no taking it back um they compared the new rules that they've released to an old version of the rules that was probably from like 2020 and they had since updated the rules and post that time so when you read the changes in the in the illinois register it actually looks like they're overhauling the entire industrial hemp rules and there's so many changes but it's not that's not really the case um, and so, yeah, it, it, just to give you that context, if you do go and investigate this for yourself, you're going to see that there's a ton of changes, what looks like a ton of changes in the register, but there's really not that many changes. And, and most of the, the critical sticking points as far as, you know, what is your, what is the definition of hemp? What is your requirement for testing your hemp? Um, you know, what are the timelines? What are your responsibilities as a cultivator? All of those things are essentially going to remain the same. The, the biggest change with the rules um, is they're officially putting it out there that uh, you have to have the FSA or the Farm Service Agency involved in your hemp cultivation. So previously, it was just the Department of Ag that was handling everything from giving you the license to making sure that you have a compliant test and, and also handling all of the reporting that's your responsibility and, and all of those things. Now what they're saying is we need to have the FSA involved in that. So it, yeah, with the PDF that you have right now, Cole, if you would uh, control F and just type farm service, that, that would probably be the, the biggest change 
they they have made some changes yeah so see in the definitions there they've added farm service agency fsa um that that is the biggest part of this is if you don't already have a relationship with the fsa um if and you plan to be a cultivator now is the time to reach out to the fsa and say because it's, at this time of year it's it's perfect you know it's late february um and the growing season's coming up reach out to your fsa and say that you know i'm i want to be a hemp grower um this is my plan what can you do for me uh and you know let, let's get it on the books because i'm going to get a hemp license et cetera, et cetera. so that that's the that's the biggest as from the cultivator's perspective that's the biggest change is this is a whole new thing uh last year it was like we should everyone should have done this but if you didn't do it it's okay probably but this year it's like it's official it's on the books you got to have fsa take care of uh your harvest and reporting numbers so you're you will be filing reports to the fsa you will not be filing harvest reports to the idoa so the and like I said, there looks like there's a lot more changes. So it, uh, what you're seeing on the screen right now with all of the blue underlined text, it's showing, you know, like dry weight basis, uh, decarboxylated, like all of these new definitions. Some of them are new. Some of them are not new. Some of them were in the, uh, uh, there's an approved hemp plan on the Illinois Department of Ag's website, uh, which contains some of these definitions already. That's definitely so, new though, right? This decarboxylated thing. Uh, potentially. Uh, I think it, regardless of whether or not that particular definition is new, um, the, the underlying concept there of the total THC, which like it, uh, accounts for the um, – conversion of THCA to mm -hmm. TH Delta 9 THC that has been on the books for lo much longer than prior to what this um, okay. new proposal shows. I so they may be adding the definition of decarboxylated here, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not necessarily going to change anything for producers. Uh, and another good thing to think, uh, another good like key piece of information to think about when you're thinking about these rules here is these rules are very much geared towards cultivators. They're not necessarily geared towards processors or there, there is some language in there, you know, uh, explaining what you need to do as a processor, but then going even further than that as a retailer or uh, anyone else who uh, um, deals with hemp in their line of business. Um, if you're on the end user side, if you're on the retailer side, not a whole lot of information and rules apply to you from this, this new rule. Essentially, every, everything that you've been doing for the last five years um, is still going to be the status quo. So like if you, you know, if you're someone who um, primarily, you know, 90% of your business is Delta A products, um, there's nothing in these rules that is going to keep you this year from, from participating and, and continuing to um, generate revenue that way. And same thing with the hemp derived Delta 9, 
um, or any of the other um, hemp cannabinoid products that that some people might consider, you know, intoxicating or whatever else you might want to describe them as. Um, nothing in this, in this rule change is going to shut you down. And I think that's, well, that's the key. That's the key takeaway yeah. from from this, like an, uh, as just a, an overall summary, because this is what we've seen as the, as the IHGA is we have people reaching out to us saying they're going to shut us down. Uh, and uh, time and time again, I'd say at least half a dozen times now we've we've put in the work to one on one communicate with these businesses to address their concerns and to say this is not what's actually happening there there's a, a little bit of alarmism a little bit of you know government's out to get me mentality which is totally understandable but uh with with this specific rule change you you don't have a whole lot to worry about if you're on the the end user retailer side of hemp just just the same as you have been for the past five years so what were you gonna what? say what about uh, people kind of exploiting this like loophole of this like THCA flower that's been around? Because I feel like that could seemingly be something if you're saying that like that total cannabinoid definition has already been on the books. You know, like I know Cole has referenced and like we've heard people talk about how they're looking to do some kind of enforcement around this stuff. Is, is that something that the state might be cracking down on? So... Um... Yeah, so like the THCA flower, um, if it caught like the only requirement, if you dig into these rules and you dig into the USDA rules, the only requirement is a compliant pre-harvest test. After the after the hemp material passes a compliant pre-harvest test, it can go to retail, and if you don't ever do another pre-harvest test uh, or official pre-harvest test, because you can still, you can like, and you can still find this too. You can go online or go to a retailer and, and scan a product. You know, most of the time there's a QR code. If not, you can ask them for the COA and uh, the certificate analysis and they will provide you one. And it'll say this product is, 17 or 20 percent thca uh and and as a as a pre-harvest compliance test that's that's not compliant but if you're the the rules for the pre-harvest compliance test happen 30 days plus or minus five days um before harvest so if you plan it out right you get to flower for um what is it seven weeks or no, it's it's 35 days. You get to you get you know um, you get you get to uh, continue to flower for 35 days after you potentially like at the maximum have a compliant test. So that those are the products that are going into uh, retail with uh, a compliant harvest test, but then also are showing you know super spiked levels of THCA. Well, but plausibly, though, like if the state really wanted to, they could like, you know, because I, I, don't, I don't know if these are like rumors you were hearing, Cole, about the state wanting to do some kind of stings or something. Yeah, you I was know, actually like gonna... you, could, you could imagine them like going and buying stuff like 
a retailer could plausibly still get in trouble selling that stuff, right? Well, so if this the is state were to then go test it and then be like, no, this is actually like, is the testing thing that they got done pre-harvest going to like save their ass? <laughs> yes. Yes. I oh, think will it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Technically I think yes. Um, okay. It, it, with, with like this, this type of enforcement doesn't really exist. And when, like, if we do see something like this happening, then it, you know, it should be well known that this is happening. So uh, it, that's what I, right... I just to talked to somebody this morning and what Phil's referencing. This is an old report that I did. There's just a, a little part in this. I went to a, a fireside chat, it was called with CBAI. And I actually went with Phil. You can see Phil and I right here tiffany uh <laughs> chapel ingram who approached us uh she's the executive director of cbai you might also recognize her as a former deputy of the cannabis regulation oversight office um so uh sorry there was a part in here where they yeah do something whoops do something hemp sorry um i had to find the part uh, she mentioned, so she was talking about hemp and she said at Canra, which you've told us about in the past, uh, Chris, I actually learned about Canra from you, I believe. Um, Aaron responded that everybody at Canra was saying that, you know, something to the effect of hemp is the devil and everybody wants to ban it or rather Delta eight. That was the context in which she was talking about that. Um, sure. She mentioned that if the federal government closes the loophole that, quote, 95 percent of our problems go away and quote, she mentioned that right now local law enforcement is reluctant to do anything due to hemp's federal legality. And Aaron mentioned that they would be reaching out to the attorney general's office to, quote, see if there is anything they can do. And just this morning, I spoke to ACT Laboratories, uh, David, uh, Dr. Bob Miller. And he mentioned to me before we went on the call that the state asked, reached out to them in partnership with the attorney general to look into, he said, hemp. So I asked about it and I want to play this moment. Just I want to see what you think about it. And obviously, if you need time to, you know, this is off the wire. Right. Um, but I'm going to play this really quick. And it's honestly, this will be my first time watching it back as well. So let's watch it. Gotcha. Um, so last question, and I meant to ask it earlier, you had mentioned, uh, you know, possibly working, uh, and I've heard the state mention this before, uh, that they would be working with the, the AG to kind of do something about hemp. Um, was it the idea that you'd like be helping them with the, the hemp testing, as you said, since you do hemp testing or what's, what's the idea there? Um, I, I, yeah, my, my understanding is they want to understand, and again, it's it's all the states are sort of it's on their agenda about how do we regulate this? And as part of regulation, I think one of the first things is what's out there. And I think so where, where they're starting with is saying, OK, what what are they seeing out in the, the marketplace? And how do we you know based on those findings, how do we then put some level of tighter control um, with that? So um from what I'm understanding, they do want to start doing some, I'll call it surveillance, sake of a better word, surveillance testing where they go in and, and buy product just to see what it looks like. 
much like what we did in Pennsylvania at the request of the Department of Health. It's a similar type of approach. It seems like Illinois, as are other states, are really starting to amp up this whole area just to see what's out there. And then I think with the premise being, once they find that, like, what are we going to do to control it, regulate it? Because that my, you know, my expectations, it's, it's going to be quite varied what we're going to find. That's very, very interesting to hear. So um, that's kind of what I thought they were referring to. They, they had said, you know, that this is a, a big public safety issue and that they'd like to do something. Um, and I figured that that's, I mean, what else would you do other than, you know, check in what's out there so that you can more authoritatively say like, so I don't know if I'm going to check the transcript to see if he says anything else about this, but just off the, off of that, any thoughts? Yeah, I have several. Um, so let's let's go back to that comments the the comments from the lady you were talking about the first time. You know, she says if we eliminate or not, I'm sorry, if we if we regulate hemp or close the loophole, ninety five percent of our problems go away. Who's our? Who are we? Who are we talking about here? Well. I'll try to answer this question. If let's do that, yeah, so, piece by piece. So they say well, it's a I know consumer exactly. social equity and the regulators. I was going to say, well, it's <laughs> it's a mixture of social equity and what they call a consumer protection issue. And they even said that she. This is a quote. I don't want anybody in Illinois consuming something that was cut with by formaldehyde. And everybody in the room went. Hmm. I don't know if you remember that, Phil. Um, that seems like it's not safe for consumption. But I'm not a scientist. Uh, so a so, statement like that is basically akin to saying all because one product in the cannabis dispensary was contaminated with mold, all all cannabis products are contaminated with mold. So like yeah. that, that's like just straight up fear mongering right there. Um, and so like the I don't understand the the equity component to this other than that equity people who have qualified for social equity have been promised something by the state uh, and and the state has created a social equity component to their own uh uh i guess i would say like abject failure like total chaos this like multi-license multi-agency state legal but federally not legal cannabis like it's a total disaster uh, and so, like anyone who is um, defending the state's right to have this insane disaster play out and continue to play out, and then to like use social equity as sort of like a uh, a, a bargaining chip to say that that the well, obviously the the state regulations of cannabis need to continue because social equity is so important. Well, it's it's like Philo always like, likes to say the last person that said, well, hey, maybe I think they pontificated out loud, maybe even on my podcast. I'm not I can't remember exactly, but maybe license limitations aren't a part of social equity. See, you can't say things like that because that is yeah, yeah. part and parcel so, of what it is, <laughs> you know? Right, right. So like, yeah, go out and take a poll of all social equity applicants, ask them one question. Are you happy with the current state of Illinois cannabis regulation? I think we all know the answer to that. 
and the 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 way that they're sort of saying like this loophole is hurting us it's hemp is legal federally uh, and that's what's making our enforcement hesitant to crack down on it it's like well that's not going to change um it is what it is it's been that way for five years for you to come out and say it's a public safety issue and it's all contaminated with formaldehyde it's it's nothing more than just fear-mongering politics like i i to to dive into the substance uh, any other any other points that you make in your in your argument that this is what needs to happen it's it's like it's to give you validity to uh, uh, uh an argument that is just a completely superficial and, and invalid uh, when it comes to federal law when it comes to agriculture when it comes to farmers and hemp yeah like farmers and hemp don't care about the Illinois cannabis industry. We're a national group of people who are who are trying to um, establish an uh, an alternative crop, uh, an alternative row crop, and and the benefits of that, the extracts of that, all of that is part of our industry. Um, and and for your little state uh, regulation, your little state scheme where you're shooting fish in a barrel, um, we don't want any part of that. We're, we're beyond that. We're outside of that. And well, because hemp, hemp is like what you're saying is hemp is national. Like your market is national. Like the market for Illinois hemp could be in every state. Yeah. <laughs> but like yeah, the cannabis exactly. market, it's like just this little market in Illinois. Right. But, but know, so they've, like made why? Of, they've made a lot of yeah. promises. They've collected a lot of money. They've, they've, codified a ton of laws and legal language hundreds and hundreds of pages uh cannabis regulation and tax act cannabis control act like there's there's so much uh uh money to be made bureaucracy to be navigated and all of it is self-imposed it's something that it um the uh, cura te ipsum which means you cure yourself. You created this problem and then you create the solution to this problem and then you act like a hero. That's that's what the cannabis industry in Illinois is all about right now. That, that's what I always said was the worst idea was it was like the worst person to put in charge of managing social equity in Illinois is Illinois because they made the market in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Like you should have just like that's the best argument for an open market is that the Illinois government should have no hand in picking who gets a cannabis license. <laughs> just just that it's it's as expensive as it is and and that only medical patients can do home grow. Like if it's not legal to grow, it's not legal, right? Right. So like hemp hemp is the total opposite of that. It's plant as many acres as you can experiment learn uh try to find markets like build this new alternative crop that oh by the way also happens to be really beneficial for the environment etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so so and, and you know it's a it, it's all part of the new bio-based economy and and local like it'll help bolster local economies bring manufacturing back to the united states like there's so many benefits that hemp brings but we can't stop focusing on local like state level cannabis licenses 
We can't stop focusing on the fact that the state wrote checks that its ass can't cash, basically, is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we've collected an absurd amount of money and built this entire scheme uh, around <laughs> this. And now federal law is make is all the walls are coming crashing down and we're trying to preserve it. Like we've got, we've got a, a, a teaspoon and we're bailing water out of a sinking ship. Yeah. I wanted to just more clearly vocalize. I mean, you kind of said it yourself, but if I could just read a quote uh, just, and you know, we've pretty much addressed this, but Aaron uh, Johnson, again, our cannabis regulation oversight officer expressed uh, that these products either go untaxed or are only subject to retail level taxation, making them more affordable than cannabis. This harms our social equity licensees. And she's expressed a similar viewpoint in the past. She was quoted in Crane's Chicago business as saying, we have to move forward to regulating intoxicating hemp, which is a direct competitor to our social equity licensees. I do think the legislature has the appetite to regulate intoxicating hemp. Who else? Well, is to be fair, she is time? angling for a future job in the industry. So what were that's you saying, Chris? Good. I, that's good to know, Phil. A good, good point. No, I mean, I'm just kidding. Not... <laughs> oh. oh, I was going to say that's not a surprise to me at all. No, that, that's just Illinois. That's just how that I goes. I mean, I did just <laughs> mention that a former CROO deputy is now the head of the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois. Um, so, I mean, and I believe, it's I not believe Pam outside of plans, the realm. Weren't Pam Altoff's plans to go work in the cannabis industry somehow? <laughs> I think she like uh, hinted or alluded to it when she was on my podcast, but it was unclear. So I don't want to, you know, she left it kind it was, of unclear. It was, more, it was more a threat than anything. <laughs> it is a threat. Um, so, hey, I've got an interesting question about this, Chris, that I haven't really thought about. You know, I've talked to a lot of colleges across across this beautiful state, and they've uh, started their hemp programs. And one of the great things that Dr. D.K. Lee said over this summer when I stopped by the the hemp summit was that, hey, students, we've got two lanes for you. You can either study the industrial route, which has many, many, many different applications, as we've always said in the cannabis uh, you know, legalization movement. Or he said, you know, there's this awesome route you can go down botanically if you'd like to just, you know, study the botanical effects. So in other words, in the University of Illinois and in Southern, Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, and I'm sure other colleges, you know, that I'm forgetting right now, I know that there's different hemp clubs that have started up. I, I'm going to go speak uh, with one. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is, do you think those would be maybe allies to to prevent uh, a crackdown? I mean, our universities need access uh, to the cannabis plant. And they've been granted that through the federal law. Um, and people, I, I know they like to talk about bad actors and stuff, but what about students? You know, like think about the the implication of, of, of a crackdown like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think, and, and this is, this is a great illustration of how hemp is just inherently equitable and we don't need to have social equity carve outs because it's, it's agriculture. Um, I mean, Another another point is uh, uh, just as an aside, DK Lee and, and the whole Illinois University of Illinois and Urbana-Champaign, what they're doing there is incredible. They are they are some of the the cutting edge pioneers when it comes to 
hemp grain. They are breeding varieties of hemp that will one day exceed the protein yield per acre that soy does. Like I, I, my discussions with DK Lee and my observations in the field, I, I think it's possible for hemp to compete with soy as an animal feed product. If, if we get enough development in that field, uh, we can, and I know I just, we I just heard something about like the hemp seed is like approved for, was it like chicken feed for the first time? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Something like that. That's a great, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. I, I wasn't going to mention that, but yeah, the, the, um, the market for animal feed, uh, and, and like I was saying is like, we're, we're essentially through the efforts of people like DK Lee, we will double the yields of hemp seed and protein, um, per acre, uh, from cannabis. And like this, that that's a, a win for hemp. This is something that that's what federal legalization brings is the universities get involved. The land grant institutions get involved and yeah, you, you, the amount of advancement that you will see from university field trials is it's like light years of, of state level legal recreational cannabis. Um, it, and, and going back to the, the state level legal recreational cannabis, um, what, what I was saying was, um, you know, th that person is saying that the, um, hemp is hurting our social equity applicants uh who else is it hurting is is my question that very similar to the uh uh our problems right so it's like I, that that's the, i don't want to come out and just say like that pace that piece is pure propaganda because i haven't read it but when you publish something like that, like you're responsible for the content of something like that. Like you need to at least understand what you're publishing. And when I see stuff like that out getting put out there and getting taken seriously and, and then getting wrapped into this and covered under this umbrella of public safety, um, it, it's really obvious what's happening. And it, it's, you're creating a bureaucracy to collect taxes to fund the bureaucracy that collects taxes. Uh, yeah. And, and if, if you want to like, you know, go back to speaking about the Illinois hemp rules. Yeah. Um, uh, the the but, Illinois hemp rules aren't doing this, but there is legislation out there that's been proposed that that is doing this. And I think we've discussed this before as well. Like representative LaShawn Ford is, has been putting, um, this is probably his third iteration of the bill. Yeah, it's like 5306 or 5603. Yeah. I can't, can't remember. Yeah, 5706. Yeah, and that's the Senate version, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I read this bill last night. Um, it's It starts on 100, page 112 and goes to page 220. He is rewriting the entire Industrial Hemp Act with this bill. Uh, and most of these suggestions are, most of these changes are geared towards the retailers, the end users, um, and specifically the Delta 9 and uh, 
really just hemp derived delta nine. Like they're going straight after hemp derived delta nine. Um, they they accept they create exceptions for full spectrum, broad spectrum, isolate, um, all of these things. So they're they're not going after anything other than the competition essentially for uh, the the state cannabis program. Um, and what they want to do is put a five percent tax on all sales uh and and also all like they they create four new types of licenses they are dragging in the uh idfpr they're dragging in the illinois department of public health they are essentially trying to circumvent the rulings of the federal government when it comes to like the fda and the usda uh and what what they classify hemp as and, and what they uh, approve as a you know a lawful use of hemp. Um, they, they're essentially like use, trying to usurp more authority from the government, and uh, it, it's it's kind of a cloudy area. Like you know, the state has primary regulatory authority over hemp as long as they submit a plan that is approved by the USDA. So like this, the legal language, the language like the problem I have with this is like, they're trying to put it all into law and like these, these, most of this stuff, like if you have valid suggestions, you should have the IDOA just change the rules instead of putting it into the law. And I know we've talked about that before, but this, this is a 220 page bill that rewrites the entire industrial hemp act uh, and is kind of flying underneath the radar. It was introduced not too long ago. But like I said, it's the third iteration of this. All of these suggestions, you have to think about this. If you're looking at this bill, you have to think about this. How are things working now? Are they working okay for the hemp industry? Why would we change the hemp? Why would we change the, the, the rules and the, and the law for hemp in Illinois? Uh, like I said before, this, this bill, like the purpose of this bill, is to create a bureaucracy to collect taxes to fund the bureaucracy that collects taxes. Um, it also has a 55%. So it, it dumps all of the 5% of the tax money from this bill uh, goes into uh, the industrial hemp regulatory fund, but 55% of that goes into the industrial hemp social equity fund. And it's like, there is no social equity problem right now in hemp. But if a bill like this passes, there probably would be, because now you're creating all these, these complicated barriers to entry for the hemp industry. Right. Uh, and so again, cura te ipsum, right? You, you are the cure for your own disease. You are creating a problem and then you're solving it so that you can be the middleman and, and siphon five percent off of every transaction and and if you want to talk about the amount of money that's at stake here uh let's let's talk about the cannabis market in illinois 1.6 billion dollars in 2023 right that's that's what came out of this uh this state for legal cannabis uh, out of dispensaries 1.6 billion so let's let's say that the hemp industry is equal to that but it's it's probably not because we don't price gouge like the cannabis industry does um, and so let's say it is, let's say it is 1.6 billion, 5% tax on 1.6 billion. That's $80 million. 15% of that goes to the IDOA. 
15% of that goes to the IDFPR, 15% of that goes to the Illinois Department of Public Health, and 55% of that goes to social equity. And, and if you look at the language in this bill that's talking about social equity, they say, we need to do all these social equity components. We need to have you know, this department uh, figure out how to give loans and how to give assistance to social equity and, and, and social justice uh, qualified people who, who are interested in him. Um, but at the end of that section, it says, but they can also use contractors and third parties. So we're talking about 55, 55% of $80 million, $44 million going towards third parties and contractors who understand what cannabis equity is. So tell me, who are these people? Because that's what's going to happen. The departments, the, these departments don't have um, the, the capacity to enforce off of 15% of that budget. Like, it's just not going to happen. You know it's going to go out to contractors. So they've already, they've created this carve out in this bill to, to siphon tens of millions of dollars of hemp money towards whoever that, that third party contractor might be, who can, who can fulfill the requirements of social equity for hemp, which is a non-existent thing. It's a massive opportunity for corruption and for waste. And, and the last thing that we need as, as an industry right now is more uh, tax on the, uh, uh, an industry that is just now coming online and, and establishing itself. People are going to see where this tax money is going and it's going to have a chilling effect on the entire industry. And I know that that was a long rant, but I feel like that that's the key takeaway for this, for this bill uh, and whatever versions of this bill come out. Thank you for addressing that. I was going to ask you, like, because I know there's these rules, but then I, if you couldn't tell, I had that Illinois News Joint article prepared because I had also heard there there were these bills. Uh, Phil, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, just that's just totally par for the course for Illinois, right? <laughs> like, yeah. have bureaucracy that makes more tax money that can fund more bureaucracy. And just cannibalize yeah. businesses in the process. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't it doesn't really matter that it's hemp. Like it's just that's just kind of our par for the course. Like whatever it is, we need to regulate overregulate and tax it. It doesn't matter what it is. We need to create the opportunity to throw tens of millions of dollars at my brother's cousin's contracting business because they they know, you know, they qualify for whatever it is we're looking for. Yeah, I really just think this all comes down to this is the only chat like, you know, I can bitch all I want on the Chillinoy podcast and now on the Cole memo about how I hate limited licenses. But this is the this is the challenge to that system directly. And I mean, they said it clearly in the quotes that I uh, Mar you know said earlier. It's really it's all about the idea of preventing failure of of this program. You know what I mean? Like even it's before. Not, it it's not just the limited licenses that it's challenging though too it's the amount of overregulation right true like there are there are retailers who can sell hemp products and they don't have to have some 300 
to $500,000 camera system that's hooked up to the Illinois State Police 24-7 and, you know, all the, like, operating procedures that dispensaries go through, which are all probably unnecessary. But, yeah, like, so it's a challenge to everything. That Absolutely. Doing. The whole system. That's it. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. And I guess the way I was going to go with it, but I really appreciate you jumping in there because what you added, it is absolutely a challenge to the system in and of itself. I just so um, Aaron, when she talked about her experience at Canra, the Canra conference, uh, she said that Illinois stands in, quote, much better shape compared to many other states. To illustrate her point, she cited Michigan's cannabis market, describing it as a struggling market. <laughs> she recounted hearing discussions at the conference about cannabis operators in Michigan facing receivership and enduring significant price compression due to their regulatory framework. And this isn't the first time that like somebody from the state of Illinois has kind of used Michigan as an example of a failed market. As you just said earlier, Illinois cannabis 2023 revenue was 1.6 billion. Michigan was 3 billion. And the same thing can be said about 2022. I'm not going to pull the numbers up right now. Folks, Google them yourself. It's the same story. Um, so I, I don't know that it's fair to say that Michigan is a struggling market, but I guess to wrap it around to the reason I'm bringing this up is if hemp could cause something like that, right? <laughs> if if it is a direct competitor and it causes price compression, which is one of the things that they apparently work to prevent, if it causes price compression, it could cause receivership. And they say those are the two things that they don't want to happen, that uh, their office works every day to prevent things like that happening. Prices falling and people going out of business, right? Because that's the government's job. Um, I just, yeah, I just don't think it just doesn't make any sense at all. Because if 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 Michigan is taxing at the same percent as Illinois, then they're taxing nearly twice as much revenue. So the state is twice as well off. Now so I would call that I would call that double the success. Yeah, now that that was just revenue. I people will bring that up and I'll I can google that really quick, but I do think Illinois does bring in actually kind of a comparable figure when it comes to tax revenue um per year because we are taxing it much higher. Um you know, so sometimes they'll say, well are, that's what, that's a are, sign of success, you know. Well, are we taxing it higher or are prices just triple in Illinois True. what they are in Michigan? That's a good point. So like if the percentage that you're pulling from the market is greater is the same, but the revenues like, yeah, I mean, a gram in Illinois is 20 bucks. It's still 20 bucks. It's insane. Uh, you can, I, I was in Michigan and last time I was there, I was able to get five, one gram cartridges of distillate for a hundred dollars. That is roughly $500 worth of product in Illinois. Right. Uh, Bill, and, you want? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I I would say that the stuff for Michigan actually tasted better too. Yeah, Phil. I was gonna give Phil the opportunity. You want to share a story? Yeah, I mean, you can get grams of distillate for like seven dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> you know, this is from an eighty dollar ounce. <clears throat> it's uh, it's the price we should be really. <laughs> People just buy more. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You can buy more, you can enjoy it more, uh, and you can share it more. Um, and it shows in the total revenue because 
that's three billion in in Michigan, where prices are fifty percent or thirty three percent of what they are in Illinois, and they're doing double the gross. So, like that means they're selling four to six times as much product in Michigan. The problem that we have with it is that it's not coming out of, it's not, it's not coming out of only 21 businesses in Illinois based on the, the, that's another insane thing is like, we, you're only allowed to have one cultivation center per police district. Right. Uh, And, and, you know, it's wide open in Michigan comparatively. Uh, And so, yeah, it, it, it's it's struggle it's struggling to see consolidation from a few msos that's that's what it's struggling to do um but otherwise yeah i mean everyone from the every surrounding state around michigan knows michigan's the place to go yeah and i'm displaying the figures for 2022 i couldn't find them for 2023 but for 2022 or well yeah from from fiscal year sorry 445.3 million in fiscal year 2022 for Illinois but for Michigan 325 million so we yeah, still so they, we, have, they still they, sold more than us they I want to be clear about that they still did sell more weed than us um but but they're only doing a 10% which is it's more in Illinois it's 10 and six is what it said in Illinois. It's like uh, 30, 25 and 20, something like that, Mm -hmm. depending on whatever category it is. So, yeah, I mean, all the numbers add up, like it's, it, we don't want to be any part of it. We don't, we don't think hemp has any relation to it. Like the, the whole ecosystem that you've created, it's like, um, it's like Apple. It's like you, you're either a part of the ecosystem or you're not. And if you're part of the ecosystem, like you think you're better than everybody else, <laughs> I, I guess is the way to say it. Like, uh, you know, you're willing to pay triple for something that does the same thing, but you're part of a like an exclusive club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, any other thoughts on the rules that were? presented or proposed i guess you said they took comment it was several months ago now they're just what's the state of them yeah they well they published them in the register so they'll be doing another round of public comments on the you know the final proposed rule and we will be participating in that we don't have a ton of comments for them based on what they've changed like the first time they tried to change stuff, we had a lot of comments. We made some very detailed suggestions. Um, the only suggestion of ours that they took was they added language regarding microgreens. So now if you're a hemp grower and you want to grow microgreens for production and you, you know just sell them at a farmer's market or whatever, you don't have to get them tested, which it's, it's a win. It's a win. It's a very minor win, but it's a win. <laughs> so we'll we'll take that. Uh, and uh, like the that we we appreciate that. And then based on seeing what they said this time around, um, we didn't have a whole lot of comments for them. We would like them to change 
there's there's three places in the rules where we want them to change the phrase hemp to raw industrial hemp plant material, which they use elsewhere in the rules. Uh, and and we want to do this because it, it it's a clarifying thing. We as we read these rules, we think that that is their intent, but the phrasing and the like the usage of the word hemp versus like raw plant material uh, seems to be a little bit uh, misaligned. So our, one of our comments is we would like to see you say raw hemp plant material here instead of just plain old hemp. Um, and then really there's not much more beyond that. The, the other part of it is, you know, we really would still like to see performance-based sampling language included in this um, rule set because that language is provided by the United States Department of Ag. Um, they, they crafted this PBS performance-based sampling system uh, and said, you know, if there's some way that you can enable hemp to be grown to, to ensure that you know, you're growing compliant plants without having to do the whole laboratory testing thing, then by all means, please do. And they weren't very specific. And they said, you know, it's up to the state to take care of their people and to figure out how to do this reasonably and, and in a way that satisfies their own requirement. Uh, and so um, in Pennsylvania, they've actually done this. So it's, it's a really great like there's a memorandum on the Pennsylvania Department of Ag website that explains exactly what I'm talking about. Pennsylvania did it. We we made this this exact comment, like literally what Pennsylvania has put into their rules. We made this exact comment almost a year ago now. It was 11 months ago. We said you need to include performance-based sampling language for for just regular cultivators. And this is how you do it. And then literally Pennsylvania did it and Illinois decided not to do it. The only thing they decided to do again was to add the microgreens language. So that is going to be the other part of our comment. When we get the opportunity, we're going to say, please change these three little technical things. And also please reconsider including performance-based sampling language as Pennsylvania has so recently done. Yeah. Um, I've got a, like a kind of a, like a higher level question here. So I wanted to give Phil the space. Did you have any thoughts on that specifically? Gotcha. Um, so, you know, I, I don't mean to take us back to this, but it just seems like all of this is about is the quote, quote, intent of the law. Like everybody brings up, like, this was not the intent of the law. Like, and I, I want to like go in two ways with this. Like, first of all, none of those representatives actually wrote that bill. I would be willing to argue it's usually written by other people. You know what I mean? In in the farm bill, right? I mean, just like all other bills, it's like some other organization writes it, and they like get the person to introduce that language. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's all done by committee. Yeah. And then it's reviewed by another committee. So, but I mean, like this whole, this whole idea of this wasn't the intent of the law. I've kind of been asking lately. I'm like, but maybe it was maybe like somebody just silently was at the back of the room, like, just shut the fuck up about this. They don't understand what they're regulating. I wrote the law. If they just fucking sign <laughs> this into law, 
we're good. It, it's hard to put the cat back in the bag. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about this LaShawn Ford build too. If, if they actually pa- like, it's so poorly written that if they actually pass it, it will be, it will just be bedlam. Um, but no, I think it's the opposite with, with the farm bill. Like they knew exactly what they were writing. The language that they use when they talk, when they say like isomers and salts of isomers, like, you know, they were talking to a chemist, you know, they were talking to drug people, you know, they were talking to the DA and to, to think that their intention was anything other than what is like currently happening. And like, you know, everyone says it's a loophole. It's a gray area. It's this, that it's like, just look around you. Just look around you at what's happening right now. That is the intent. If you think it's not the intent, you're deluding yourself. You think that the government is doing something or isn't doing something that they should be doing when they're not doing it because they've decided that that's the best way to do it. Like people, people would be in jail right now over all this Delta nine hemp and all this THCA stuff, but they're not. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of it's kind of similar to um like it's people think it's like a weird thing to have this like cannabis market and these hemp and this hemp market, but I keep hearing people compare it to like the taxi market and Uber. Yes. You know, in in terms of regulations and licensing and uh, oligopolies and stuff like that. And uh, what was the other one I was going to say? It's like. Well, come back for that. Okay, yeah. If you if you think of it, let me know. Um, I was just gonna ask: Have you ever thought about just dropping the intoxicating compounds and just like focusing, like, or is that not the? Is that like? Because I'll just stop and ask you that question because it is that seems to be the issue at hand. They're like they literally said it. They're like you can have you know whatever. It just can't be intoxicating. I think there there's definitely there's definitely two camps in the hemp industry, you know, and the national hemp association is very much in the camp that um, anything that produces cannabinoids should just be separate. Like if the intent of the crop is to produce cannabinoids, it should, it should be regulated as cannabis and leave us uh, row croppers our our fiber and grain people leave us alone. Like let us do our agricultural thing. We have no interest in, in extracting uh, and, I, it, there's, there's a, a big appeal to that. It, it opens up the floodgates for ag, big ag to get involved, um, which is a, it's a, it's a blessing and it's a curse, um, but it, it will accelerate the a, adoption uh, of hemp as like a major crop. Um, but it, why would we, why would we, ignore the opportunity that we have here um with hemp to not just be a um food and fiber crop but but to also provide us with useful chemical compounds um to provide us with a a new way of uh uh creating a a, like a bio-based economy around not you know uh compounds that are beneficial for human health 
uh, and can can help uh, alleviate symptoms and, and treat uh, you know uh, chronic illness um, in in various ways. You know, if if we as we continue to study these compounds, like there are so many benefits. Like, why would we create these separate streams? Like, why do we have to have this division? Um, we I think we just need to step away, like as, as the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, like we're, we, we have a, a bias towards the row cropping, the ag world, because we're an ag organization. Like we support farmers first and foremost. Um, but over the years of it being uh, exposed to this, cannabinoid market and all, all the people that are involved in this cannabinoid market like this is part of the the world of ag now like we can't you like you said the cat's out of the bag like this to have this amount of revenue coming off an acre i think is is kind of it's like it's mind-blowing like it's it we don't know what to do with it yet and people are trying to 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 slow it down um it's i mean i don't want like it, it's not like a direct comparison but it's kind of like what's happening with ai right now like we people can't comprehend the changes that are going to happen when this thing becomes more mainstream and more adopted uh 10 years down the road um but ultimately it's it's going to lead to some uh some pain but but mostly benefit uh, and and that's that's I guess w- why we continue to to operate the IHGA is we we see that we can see that that that's what the future holds for hemp uh, and w- whatever means we need to to employ to to get there uh, that that is ethical and responsible that that's what we'll do and so we don't think that hemp cannabinoid products are unethical uh, or that they're a loophole. Um, we think that it's, it's all part of the, the intention of developing this crop and, and why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Phil, um, I wanted to play that clip you referenced a second ago uh, and maybe it'll jog your memory if, if you know. Oh, I was just going to say the other comparison you can make to like, this hemp market and cannabis market this at the end of prohibition they allowed for like low potency beer first so it's you know it's like this farm bill has almost done that in states like texas or yeah uh you know mississippi any other of these really conservative states that don't have any kind of cannabis market so it's like loosening the ground you know <laughs> yeah that's really interesting i didn't know that Um, definitely check that out, folks. I, I'm not super uh, familiar with all the details, but that's, yeah, super cool. And I've heard of that as well. So I wanted to play that clip that Phil was referencing. It's from a grown-in panel on hemp-derived products. Something that everybody should consider. Uh, see everyone's point? Yeah. I mean, the, the MSOs and the folks that went into the marijuana side, you know, there's a lot of high upfront costs and there's a lot of challenges of like, how do we appeal, you know? Now there becomes protectionism of an oligopoly because you've got a lot of investor monies that are uh, that are waiting for a return. Uh, and we certainly sympathize that, but we 
you know, we think of the the hemp industry as kind of like Uber coming into a taxi cab city where, you know, taxi cabs are a high oligopoly with barriers to entry and some would argue a, you know, pretty substandard level of service. Uh, Uber comes in unregulated uh, with a new business model that is uh, in a regulatory gray area that uh, captures the hearts and minds of, of the uh, of the consumer. And then the regulations kind of get back ended into that industry. And so we see that kind of happening in the on the hemp side. In terms of uh I thought that was just a, a good analogy. Never really thought of it that way, you know. So yeah, I I love the comparison and I think the scale is correct. Um but I still disagree with the whole gray area loophole terminology that that right. we're using here. But it, it, but yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it, it and right, like you're going to continue to see efforts backdoor or back end efforts to um, regulate hemp after the fact. Um, but uh, you know, I think we should, we should, as the state, the state has already proven that they're a failure to regulate cannabis. Um, they should step back and let the federal government do, you know, the slow progress of. The federal government will will lead to a unified market for cannabis in general, for cannabis and hemp across the U.S. Um, states can't do this, they, especially after all the history we have. Like states are, it's like it's just reefer madness 2.0. Uh, is and there's there's many ways to just express that. I feel like, you know, if, if you think that cannabis needs to be that heavily regulated, you're, you're still participating in this sort of, it's a danger. Uh, and, and anyone who's had any experience with it um, knows that it's not really the case. It's only dangerous when big money is involved. Yeah. And um, I want to bring this to close with the, uh... Just I, I thought this was another small just snippet that really embodies what what hemp is uh, like for people. So, and uh, multi millions of dollars usually come from the usual suspects. Uh, one can get into the hemp. Uh, you know, this is the the true American pathway to normalization and re and legalization. And that these are mom and pop opportunities that present themselves on the hemp side as opposed to corporate entities on the uh, on the marijuana side. So. So I thought that was a really interesting question, although, you know, um, that that is that's kind of the problem, right? Um, that's that is kind of the problem. <laughs> um, and I if I could, but Chris, before I get into that. Um, Oh, yeah. I just realized I was muted, but I was going to say, except for all the multi-million dollar companies getting into the hemp business. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, true. Good point there. Good point. Well, this will actually, I'll kind of, I'll play the own, my own question that I asked Chris, and maybe you can answer it. We've kind of already touched on it, but again, that whole quote of the true American pathway, I believe that's accurate. Um, but also I believe that's just part of the quality, right? Um, so you're going to see a familiar face. My question might be a little bit too Illinois specific, but after thinking it, it might apply to all others and it was kind of touched on in, in this discussion. 
Um, it seems like there's a consensus that that issue with high schoolers and and that type of stuff is is not what we want as people trying to be responsible in the space. And as somebody, I think it was Jennifer maybe pointed out earlier, many hemp operators came together in Illinois uh, to to agree that you know we should be taxed, we should be tested, we should be labeled uh, if we're going. I'll stop for the record really quick. Obviously, uh, Chris, you voiced that maybe you weren't a part of that. I ideally, I think you would have agreed <laughs> to all of those things, uh, except for maybe the taxing <clears throat> part of it. Um, but I just allow me to finish the question really quick. I just wanted to say that for the record because you know I, I just brought that back up. So to be selling intoxicated, intoxicating cannabinoids, and I hosted a debate around this subject, and it it seemed to shift from that health concern to a debate around limited licensing and open open licensing and the things that Chris was saying earlier about it being the true American pathway to legalization with no barriers to entry is seen as something that would dilute the market. So again, not to get too Illinois specific, but I do think I'll just stop it there because we've kind of already touched these bases. You know, it's it, it really it's I don't I I've it, I think the reason I just keep going on about it is because it's just so mind-numbingly frustrating, you know, that this is really where we're standing right now, you know, and that like, again, just to go back to one of those quotes that said, local law enforcement is reluctant to do anything when people have hemp. I've been asking, like, isn't that a win? I thought we wanted cops to leave people alone in the context of cannabis possession and, and use, you know, so isn't that a win? Like you're saying, it, it, the way it was said was as if it was a bad thing, you know. Um, so exactly, exactly, and they, yeah, and and what I didn't mention earlier was in that bill that's that's proposed. Um, they, it creates the opportunity to charge minors with felonies for possession of hemp. The bill we were just discussing by Lashawn Ford. Yes, that's correct. Didn't wasn't one of the main features of the CRTA is that it did remove criminalization for kids. I mean, it wasn't just a slap on the wrist, but it was like, hey, you know, kind, you know, kind of in parody with alcohol. At least that's how I understood it to be. Yeah. And in, in that bill, he references um, Section four of the Cannabis Control Act. And if you look at the penalties in Section four, it, it includes felonies for possession of over 100 grams. So. No matter what age you are. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, we yeah, just had a medical. So, no, apparently, even if you have a medical card, uh, you can get charged with that. So, you know. Yeah. So it, 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 but what it's doing is doing that, but for hemp, which is federally legal. There's no limit on what you can possess. Yeah. Wait. So, so we're adding so a possession limit so, for hemp? Yeah. Recriminalizing <laughs> cannabis. Yes. And, and also, <laughs> if, if this, incident happens to occur while you're operating a motor vehicle you also lose your license if you're a minor right so it you know this is the problem with bills that are 220 pages long um the law should be very simple it should just direct the department to do what it needs to do to make make it work it shouldn't have 300 pages <clears throat> of content complexity that can put your kid in jail and charge them with a felony at age 19 and pull their driver's license for having a couple ounces of hemp in the in the trunk or whatever 
Yeah. Do you think it's, if I could just like, do you think that it is, so for example, J.B. Pritzker had his state of the state today. He had a graphic and one of his accomplishments was launching the adult use cannabis industry. Obviously he likes to talk about that a lot. Do you think that conceding, is it the concession of the system itself that's the issue? Like, would that be seen? Because he wants to put it on his belt. You know, he might even run for president. I hear, obviously we don't know, but um, like, I, I what I just don't understand the rigidity to the the dumb system that was created. You know, like why are we trying so hard to protect it? Um, I think it's an incredible achievement for tax revenue and for a select group of highly funded business owners. It's a, it's an incredible achievement to deliver such a protected market to um, your, your large corporations. Like it is, uh, and, but J, JB is an heir to a large corporation. So like, it, it, it's like growing up as as the prince of England and not knowing that like not everybody's as rich as you, you know. Like for him to say it's one of his achievements, it absolutely is. He's delivered for for the the you know the corporate managerial class that that seems to think they're entitled to all of the profits uh, from cannabis. Phil, thoughts on that? Amen. Well, just that I think like the legislators kind of got like rolled over by the lobbyists for these big companies and they passed a law that was so lopsided in the favor of those companies that <laughs> like, I mean, they don't really have much incentive to change it, but like the regulators and all these people who are just in charge with enforcing it, like wh wh what the fuck else are they supposed to say? <laughs> right like they job. just keep like toeing the line like if they don't toe the line they don't stay around long like look at uh danielle perry <laughs> yeah 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 we we miss her we liked her a lot we saw her at um at nikan and um we really loved what she was doing but she didn't last more than about a year well, she, she did dare to hypothesize that uh, social equity might mean adding more licenses or removing caps entirely. And I don't know if that was exactly what got her job taken away, but <laughs> it might have been like on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah. I also miss Daniel Perry. I just have to always add like for posterity. She, this is how cool she was. They had this, the state of Illinois still has this post up. Who is the CROO tune into the Chillinois podcast. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can make something like that happen again. That'd be real cool. Um, so yeah, Cole, you are the, um, you're the, the foremost voice in, discussion around cannabis in the state i feel like if if not beyond the state like there's no one that that consistently and steadily creates content like you thank you chris thank you 
yeah, it's, it's a, I don't know. It's fun. I like talking about it. So, but, um, I, and I want to thank you all for always being willing to talk to me at length on these subjects, Phil and Chris. Um, I think it's like important to really flesh these things out at length because there is a lot to this and, you know, um, yeah. I think people just hear the sound bites about those stories that we referenced to the, um, the children with the Delta eight, you know, and, and they just think, well, let's make it illegal. And it's like, we have to learn from the mistakes of the past that, you know, the criminal law is not ever the answer. I, you know, and it's, it's funny. I almost said not always the answer. It's not ever the answer really in regard to like simple possession or cultivation of, you know, cannabis drugs i'll even go that far i don't know if everybody agrees with me on that one but um yeah so Most uh drugs we'll say yeah yeah <laughs> some uh, pretty wacky drugs out there yeah there are some crazy ones uh chris uh well phil uh anything before i give chris the last word any like no, questions that thanks. come up or anything no thank thanks for another good talk yeah, I guess I do have just like one last question, Phil. I think you'll like this one. It's a quick one, I think, Chris. Uh, am I just like allowed to grow hemp? You know, I was wondering this too. I, I tried to look it up at one point. I thought you had to be like on an agricultural lot or something like that. Yeah, so that that's true. Um, you have to be licensed to grow hemp legally. Um, and... To, in order to get a license approved by the department, this is this is what they're adding into the the requirements is the FSA. So you have to you have to go to your FSA and say I want to grow hemp, and then they'll look at the property that you have and say it's not possible for you to grow hemp there because you're not a farm. That that's that's the the piece there that it, you know before it was it, it's the language was still there the, the language of uh i60 uh, illinois like property tax or just illinois tax code i60 um i can't remember which what exactly the the phrase is there but i60 I um and it says like you need to be classified as a farm to grow hemp and when i kind of dug into it it's like you don't really need to be zoned agricultural like the the classification of a farm according to the usda is any property that's used to generate one thousand dollars worth of produce every year and it's not necessarily that you actually even have to have the revenue uh of a thousand dollars of produce every year it's just that you have to have the plan to produce a thousand dollars of produce every year so like i know i'm getting like way yeah. into the reason on this <laughs> But I, like, I thought this basically, was like, <laughs> it, it never is with hemp. It never is. <laughs> but but I'll try to make it quick. It's okay. But so no, it's okay. What I would say is if you want to grow, go to your FSA and talk to them first before you go and talk to the department. Because the to for the department, they what they want is for you to submit a hundred dollar application fee. And then you might find out that you're not allowed to grow. Whereas if you go to the, your local FSA, everyone's got one in their County, go to your local FSA and say, I want to grow hemp. And then they, talk to them. It's free. That's their job. So yeah, it sucks to have to deal with another department, another organization when it comes to you just wanting to grow some hemp. 
but it's their job to help you. It's their job to, to make sure that you're, if you're sending in a hundred dollars for an application fee, that you're not just wasting your money. Hmm. And, and the other part of that is maybe your FSA doesn't know, and they'll say, reach out to your local, local township or look for your local ordinance. If in your local ordinance, if you go reach out to your city council or whatever, and they say, yeah, we don't have any, you know, you're on a half acre lot. Yeah. You're not a farm, but uh, if you want to grow a quarter acre of hemp, you, whatever, your backyard's fenced off, just do what you got to do, you know, and, and you, it may still all work for you, but the minimum indoor size is still 500 square foot. The minimum outdoor size is still a quarter acre. So it, it comes down to your local and then it comes down to your, your, your local government and your, uh, your local FSA. If you can get, they're just regular people. If you can get those regular people on board because you're like, Hey, I'm not, you know, this isn't a meth lab. This is, this is me wanting to just grow some plants. Then uh, you have a great shot. Uh, and if, if all your ducks in a row and then you go to apply for a license with the IDOA that then you'll, you're going to get it. So you can't just grow. You got to be licensed. And yeah, there's, there's a little bit of backstory there, but you can always reach out to us, uh, the IHGA, IllinoisHGA.com. Um, give us a call or, or send us an email or, or, or post on our forum, or uh, there's many ways for you to get a hold of us. Uh, and we can help you navigate, you know, in a, in a personalized way. Cool. IllinoisHGA.com and maybe next time we can get into the backstory behind that because that sounds like somebody like me probably caused trouble and now there's that rule or something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, they call it the coal clause. Yeah, yep. <laughs> They're always coming up with something. Well, uh Phil, did you have any thoughts? I wanted to give you some space before we close. I think I think you have some homework of introducing yourself to your local FSA and finding out if you can grow hemp in your backyard. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Gotta figure that out. That's right. That's right. Uh Chris, I wanted to give you the space because I asked you that last question. Any anything that we didn't talk about or anything that you wanted to mention in closing? Uh no, just a quick reminder that um we have an event March twenty seventh uh in Springfield. Um, so please join us and look out, be on the lookout for um, our hemp lobby day coming up in May of this year. Absolutely, folks. Absolutely. Um, you can follow them on uh, social media, Illinois HGA. Once again, Illinois HGA.com. I'm displaying the graphic for the event March 27th. That's the after party starts at 3 p.m. That same day, as Chris said, there's the Illinois Hemp Summit 2024. And uh, yeah. All right. Well, Phil, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I had a great time with you and I'm looking forward to the next conversation that we have. I always enjoy our conversations. So, Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank, thank you both. Absolutely. Yeah, good to talk again. All right, audience. I hope you enjoyed this one. Take care.